This is Strange New Trek, a podcast about the life and times of Captain Christopher Pike. And now, your hosts. Space. The final frontier. Yeah, well... This is my final attempt to fill this space with something. I have not been able to write any words for this space. This is kind of how I felt after watching this episode. I assume there was a big space left in the schedule of the show for what episodes they were going to shoot for this one. Joining me to discuss the Elysian Kingdom is Commander Dog. There you are. Obviously, yeah, she is she's really all out here. Up. Yeah, she's really wound up. She has a lot to say about this one. Yeah, uh, Yeah, I made her watch it twice. I went in the other room during the second one, but she had to see it twice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And our chief engineer, Chris Ninian saying what's happening, Chris. <laughs> Hello. What's Ooh. up? Um, yeah. So what did we get to seven episodes before we hit a dog? <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. 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 As you can hear from Commander Dog's reactions to what we're saying, this episode was, I don't know, man. Let's talk about it. And yeah. Well, maybe uh, the duration of the conversation will make me change my mind. Sure. There's miracles can happen. Yeah. If I'm saying how much I liked it right now at the beginning, not a very whole lot. <laughs> yeah. I won't go as far as to say it's like a terrible episode. I will go as far as to say it was not a good episode and I didn't like it. I will put those together. I'm sure there's somebody out there who enjoyed it quite a bit. There are lots of episodes of Star Trek that I don't like and other people do. Well, I mean, I was kind of like live um, messaging you while this episode was going on. I was like, man, this feels like 1995 Next Generation episode, yeah. honestly. <laughs> Remember those last two seasons when you could tell everybody was just checked out? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It felt like the writers were out of ideas. Oh, remember that thing that Mbinga reads his daughter? Yeah. Let's base a whole episode off that. We're going to do one whole fairy tale <laughs> episode here, people. There is one cool thing, but I'll save that for the picking nits and notes area. But um, there's one cool little thing out, of, out about that book, though. So the only positive thing you can say about it, we have to say at the end? We were going to say for the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, do you have the chief medical officer's personal log queued up? Yes, sir. Chief medical officer's personal log, stardate 2341.6. The Enterprise is conducting a routine survey of the Genesian sure. Nebula. <laughs> there isn't a great deal for sick bay to do, so I've been continuing my own research. And that's just code for I Googled a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, I noticed that research, <laughs> research now means that you've been on Google. <laughs> the patient's condition has not improved. Months have become days and have become hours. Every minute has become invaluable. She has so little time left. And actually, I feel bad for saying it like that because this is a heavyweight statement that he makes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel bad for uh, making light of it. No, that's honestly. what I mean. There was, there's a lot, there was a lot here to work with, and it just didn't land for me. No, for sure. Yeah, yeah me too. So back in the shuttered office, Dr. Mbinga is conducting scans of his daughter, Rakia, who begs him to continue reading the story. And he's kind of like back and forth on it. 
And then we get, he starts reading the story, but she's like all kind of been out of shape because she keeps hearing the same parts and she doesn't like certain things <laughs> happening in a certain order. Well, I mean, to be fair, we have gotten this kind of dialogue before mm-hmm. in previous episodes where she remarks like, hey man, you like just read that to me like five minutes ago. But obviously, of course, for Mbinga, it's like uh, hours or uh, weeks, probably weeks maybe. even. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and look, and that sucks and it's it actually a lot of their interactions land with me. I mean, they do. It's just there's something about this episode and I guess we'll pick it apart as we get to each piece. You oh, know? for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, as they're talking about it, he reminds her that she wanted him to read this story, but she wishes parts could happen different. They mentioned some of the characters that we'll actually save for later when they're introduced. But the long and the short of it is that this king has a great weapon. I mean, he ends up at a point where he has to choose between that weapon and saving uh, saving a princess. There's a part where we discover that two of the characters never meet in the story that she wishes they would, and they would fight together. <laughs> and Binga tells her that maybe one day she'll be able to write her own stories with better endings, but first she has to get healthy. She asks him if, once she's healthy, if she can see his quarters, and he promises that once she's healthy, she'll be able to see the entire ship. Yeah, man. So let's just stop here mm-hmm. for a second. Over the course of these past episodes, we have been given the information that Rakia comes out of the buffer. It seems like a regular basis, maybe at least long enough for Amiga to read a a decent sized portion of this story to her, the kingdom of Elysian. So like, obviously Mbinga has a lot of time or at least a reasonable amount of time to say this stuff to her. But instead of like actually taking around the ship, like he says he's going to do, he just reads this bullshit story to her. I don't know, man. Yeah. Now I did get from um, the, the other story with the little kid who had to, come up with a, uh, a hopscotch game made out of certain gases because then nothing would bond. I kind of got the feeling she needed to be like in a clean room environment. Otherwise, she might be in danger. I could see that. Yeah. But nothing in any of these episodes have hinted. Nothing said that it. That's the case. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I could see your point for sure. Yeah. You know, I got some John Travolta boy in the bubble uh, vibes <laughs> off of it, you know? I won't dismiss it outright like I dismissed your Friday the 13th theory. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, I still hold a grudge cut. over deep that. Cut. One. Yeah, that's a deep cut. Oh, <laughs> uh, yep. I ended up screaming the F word in my car when I heard that. Um, <laughs> let's see. After, after putting Rakia back in the buffer, Mbinga returns to work on a variety of chemical compounds, trying to devise a treatment for his daughter. He does something to what I thought was going to be a bigger part of the story. He does something, and it literally blows up in his face. Was that the Mercury Stone stuff? Um, yeah, I don't even know what that thing was, man. It just he hits it with something, and it powders up and blows right in his face. You know, I don't even quite know what it was supposed to be. We do some uh, some wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff here, and Uno <laughs> walks in. <laughs> I appreciate the continued Doctor Who references on this show. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Una walks in and asks why the uh, the shuttle team's been waiting hours to be cleared for duty. And Binga apologizes, says that he had uh, been lost in his research. Una knows what his research is and asks him if he's gotten any closer. Obviously, they're talking about his daughter's health here. 
No is the answer. Una thinks Mbinga is pushing himself too hard, but the doctor is concerned that Rakia has lived in a transporter buffer for far too long, longer than he anticipated, and her time is running out. I'm going to call bull hockey on that couple episodes back in the only biological sense father of the first servant like he was supposed to give Mbinga like this whole treatment plan like not initially because he was pretty guarded and it that annoyed me like a lot yeah when he did that but like by the end of the episode he was like yeah man like we'll do this if you theoretically have a person that's dealing with this ailment here's kind of how you take care of it so like when they did this episode i was like man no all this build up and then here we are with this i don't know man i'm gonna talk a lot of stuff about this episode yeah i apologize ahead of time i don't like this episode like at all no i think i think that's (laughs) fair i think that's totally fair we're not even going to have to do a picking nits uh, segment because the whole thing is going to be that. Nitty enough. <laughs> and I hate to say that about this this episode because, like, I understand the reason why they did it. I understand, like, the in-universe reason why this happened. And I feel for Mbinga and his daughter, but this was not the way. <laughs> this is not the way. No. Oh, man. So, you know, they're they're talking about this, the cure thing, and he believes that there is a cure. He has to find it. Number one is sympathetic to him, but reminds him that he's also the chief medical officer aboard the flagship of the Federation and has some other stuff to do, you know? Yeah, so that, again, brings me... I think we, me and you both, like, called this that him keeping his daughter in the buffer would maybe be the downfall of Mbinga and usher in McCoy as the chief medical officer. Yeah. And I, f- I still feel like that's the case, especially with how this episode opened up. I don't feel like our hypothesis is wrong. No, it's I, there's got to be something. There's got to be something story related that, that's going to pull him out of that spot. And I'm pretty sure it's this. Like, it may not have happened this episode, but like we both predicted initially, even after we watched the trailer... Because I feel like we watched, well, not after we watched the trailer, but after we watched the episode where it comes out that his daughter is in the buffer, I feel like we both were like, yeah, that's probably the thing that gets him demoted when people more than Una find out about this. Yeah, because it's not like he was reassigned. He stays on board the Enterprise. He's just not as high, high ranked as he was. They pull him out during a couple episodes of the original series. No, I know that. No, no, I'm just making that point. So it's not like, you know, it's not like he's just reassigned. He, he's he's on the ship. It's just, you know, he's doing some other job now. Yeah. Back on the bridge or on the bridge, Spock relays Cadet Uhura's report that all their uh, data boys have been retrieved, thus completing their survey of the nebula. The captain considers it a nice change of pace. No battles, no chaos, just scanning a nebula and focusing on the science. <laughs> yeah. you know, just- As you're wont to say. Just doing the job, you know, not fighting pirates, not getting chased down by Gorn. Ortega's plots the course uh, that Pike asked for, and uh, she asks him if he's going to say the thing, which he does say, hit it. <laughs> hit it. Spock sensors have detected a minor, a minor synchrotron flux from the nebula, and he speculates it has affected their warp capabilities, or he adds, 
Pike <laughs> didn't need jinx it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, so Spock and his superstitions. There is some good lines in this. I will yeah. not say this episode is like a, a full bust. You should watch it at least once. Oh, you, you should see it just to just to get the full sense of the season. If you don't like it, you don't have to see it again. That's kind of the beauty of oh, it. Oh, for sure. Know? I watched it even though like the whole time I was like, God, Lee, I, I just want to turn this off right now. Yep, and, and you texted me about every seven minutes with that sentiment. <laughs> so they're trying to kick around a plan to get them out of this jinxed nebula thing. And uh, Spot comes up with a fancy maneuver, but as they try it, you know, poor Erica Ortegas eats the dirt. <laughs> she gets knocked right out of her seat and hits her head. Pike calls for Mbinga to come to the bridge for a medical emergency. Mbinga answers the call, heads up through the turbo lift, kind of looks all burnt up. As he reaches the bridge, he finds it covered in banners and vines and curtains and all sorts of fancy stuff. And all the people on the bridge are now dressed in fancy clothes, as is Mbinga. Pike notices him and roughly pushes his way through the crowd before putting on a smile. And they all call him the king and bow before Mbinga. And Mbinga has just one thing to say. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Now, look, man. This is not, as I've said already, I don't know if I've said this on episode or offline between the two of us, but this episode fits nicely. I feel like nicely in Next Generation canon. Oh, it feels it feels very much like a Next Gen episode to me. <laughs> yeah, it does not feel like a TOS episode. It feels like something slap dab in the middle of uh, Next Generation because if TOS did this, there'd be some heavy-handed moral with it. This is more just like there's something that's happening, and now here's this wacky thing that's going on because of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Q popping along and doing stuff or whatever, you know? I would have enjoyed Q popping up in here, but it didn't happen. Nope, it did not. <laughs> I'm talking stuff about this episode like I really hated it, but like... And the scope of Strange New Worlds, yeah, this episode for me ranks kind of at the bottom, but it's not bad. No, like I said, I didn't like it, but I don't know that I would rank it a bad episode. It's just not, just not my thing, you know, at all. And Binga says he was called up to attend Ortegas, but everybody looks at him kind of baffled, like, who's Ortegas? Pike points out that he must mean Sir Adia. And she steps forward. The doctor asks if this is some kind of joke. Pike, being on top of it, it's like, you want a joke? I'll get the jester. And Bing is like, no, no, because nobody likes jesters. <laughs> Pike, who is apparently, uh, was a Lord Roth or something Roth, suggests that his king should sit. And that's when we discover that the uh, Enterprise's uh, captain's chair is now the king's seat, the king's throne, so to speak. <laughs> We get the sense that Ortegas, as her character, Adia, does not like Pike's character, Ralph. Basically calls him a apple polisher. (laughs) (laughs) And that he should probably be put in the kitchen. And Binga consults the ship's computer, the Oracle, as the others call it, seeing if something somehow has affected the crew. He then thinks back to the chemical explosion in sickbay, and perhaps the exposure to 3QND was causing hallucinations. So he heads to return to sick bay and Ralph, who is, you know, Pike is a character Ralph now, 
prepares to follow before asking where this bay was and if he had to commandeer a ship. <laughs> and they were bringing up the bad, the bad omen of the dreadful fog that they saw. Adia adds her belief that it was a curse sent by Queen Nev, considering the sorcery a coward's weapon. Ortegas is really stabby this episode. Oh, I'm all about it, though. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm for it. There was that one episode where Pike basically told her to calm down. Yeah. So the fact that she's like all the way out here, I appreciate it. Yeah. And Binga heads to the turbo lift saying that he has to obtain a magical device. And he's talking about his tricorder and asks nobody to go with him. And Binga walks a familiar yet altered corridor of the ship, which are strewn with vines and fireflies and all sorts of things like that. Everyone he passes bows or curtsies because he's the king. Got to be king, baby. His tricorder results are normal, but everyone has elevated dopamine levels. He runs the uh, tricorder over Nurse Chapel, who is what now like some kind of uh, healer or some kind of character. Yeah, that's what I took it as. Yeah, and sees that her dopamine levels are elevated as well. No. And now, and look, I'm really rushing through this, by the way, people. So just. <laughs> Bear with me. So Laanne, uh, now is Talia, or Thalia, is extremely glad to see him, telling him that Queen Nev and her Crimson Guard have invaded her kingdom, searching for the Mercury Stone. <laughs> and that she barely escaped with her life, and not to mention her little dog, too. <laughs> Just then, he hears Hemmer ordering Mitchell to unhand him. Hemmer appears to be as Hi. lucid as Mbenga, is being dragged down the hall by two others, and... Um, he he's warning Mitchell that he will have her court martialed and Mitchell tells him or that he's going to be punished for his crimes. Just then Lan approaches with Mbinga, Adia and chapel slash Audrey behind him. Mbinga is more confused than anything else, but sees that hammer is dressed as a wizard caster. Of course he is. Of course. And tells the crimson guards to release him at once. Mitchell sneers that the Queen Nev no longer recognizes the Letter of Accords and that she has claimed these woods and would take Ridley's kingdom too. The Crimson Guard takes Hammer through the turbo lift, entering the forest, Ortega slash Adia remarks one, oh, I'm sorry, on the number of Crimson Banners and that Nev grew more bold by the day. Is that Narnia they step into? <sighs> yeah, kind of, I guess. Now Spock shows up as a wizard named Pollux. When I saw Spock with long hair, I was like, oh, sweet. He's going to reprise kind of the same Spock that we saw, you know, ending of uh, season two of Discovery, the all wise, bearded Spock. But no, that's not what we got. No, we got hippie wizard Spock. <laughs> Which, I mean, cool. It is a difference in the way that he normally acts. Well, okay. So, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say something positive about the show right now. <laughs> all the actors appear to be having fun. That's fair. They do. Yeah. Pike is getting to play, or, you know, Anson Mountain is getting to play Pike as like this, uh, as this yellow belly coward. It reminds me of, um, have you ever watched Rick and Morty? Yeah. Yeah. The first three seasons I have. Yeah. So there's an episode where you see a lot of Ricks in that episode and some of them stay with the family. There's this one Rick that has his hair like Anson Mountain this episode. And he's like the dipstick of the whole entire episode. <laughs> and, Every time I saw Anson, that's what I felt like. Yeah. Like, this is Rick and Morty, and you are the lesser Rick of all the Ricks. Or the lesser Pike of all the Pikes, in this case. So, he would be the <laughs> the Mortiest Pike. 
The Mortius Pike. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Perfect, perfect description. I appreciate that. So uh, Pollux, who is the wizard being played by Spock, shows surprise on seeing King Ridley there, wondering if it was brave or foolish for him to be there. And Bingo explains they sought Castor, and Pollux chuckles, uh, a fool's errand, knowing that he was held by Queen Nev. Ralph is clearly wanting to turn around and go back, and Adia remarks that she would <laughs> die infinite deaths just to no longer be near his whining. Mbinga asks uh, Spock slash Pollux if there's any way he could help them. The wizard agrees. He never asks a wizard for help. No, but, yeah, you can't do that. Can't do it. Yeah, he agrees to take them on a secret route, the dark way around, around the swamp. This dark way is, of course, a Jeffrey's tube. A guy um, took the Persians around a similar route, and guess what they did? Went around there and beat the Spartans over that because one guy decided to show them a path that was not cool. Yeah. Well, you got to be careful when you take that path less, <laughs> path less traveled. <laughs> the back door, so to speak. Right? Yeah. Oof. So this turns out, of course, to be the Jeffrey's Tube, which is a tunnel leading to Nev's Dungeons. There is a, a Star Trek and other YouTuber named Jesse Gender who the other day did some joke and called it a Jeffrey's Lube, and I think it's now going to be a T-shirt. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> From now on, that's how we will address this. Yes, yes. We'll Jeffrey's stick with Lube. Jeff, Jeffrey's Lube. Uh, Mbinga <laughs> knows that they can't. <laughs> Mbinga knows they can't do something. I, I missed my notes all over the place. But also knows there's only one way to reach Castor. As they get up there, they are greeted by Nev, which is Uhura, wearing a really, really stunning dress, by the way. So Uhura greets them, says that uh, she wants the Mercury Stone, which we're now getting back to referencing the story. In the book that he was reading to Rakia. With a sigh, the evil queen decides to have her torturers get the information out of him instead, adding that the torturers love their jobs. She also promises to compensate Spock for his loyalty. See? Backstabbing wizardry. That's what you get. So they're trapped inside the transporter room, which is now Queen Nev's dungeon. Dog, stop eating my slippers. Come on. Nah, you will address her by her proper title, Commander Dog. Stop eating my... <laughs> Stop eating my uh, slippers. And now she stops and looks me right in the face. Commander Dog. Yes, sir, because you, you address her by her proper title. She's going to be expecting me to salute next. Kimmer has apparently got sense of some entity outside the ship and thinks that it might be related, saying that the why was impossible to determine without asking the entity itself. And Binga asks Hemmer if he can make contact again, but Hemmer says he's reluctant because it was unpleasant the first time that it happened. Now the um, the Anar people are they're they're they lived underground in the dark. And that's why their eyes are uh, weakened, but their telepathic abilities were uh, significantly stronger because of it. No, I got that. Yeah, that was for listeners who may not know. So Hammer, apparently, even though he's like a super serious engineer dude, he also likes hamming up as a wizard a little bit. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. And he goes and whips out a little a little abracadabra device to cut through the bar so he can get them loose. Yeah, man of science just all of a sudden turns to the supernatural. Yes. I got it. Yep. Sure. So, of course, Pike slash Ralph, being the most relieved to be let out of the cage because the walls were closing in, squeezes his way out. So then Adia slash Ortegas compliments the wizard saying she likes his science with, you know, quotations around it because they're talking about magic. 
A seriously satisfied hammer blows the tip of his cutter like a like a gun shooter or like a, a shootist back in the old west. I mean, I have been playing a lot of Red Dead Red Dead Redemption Two. Mm-hmm. Like I I just now this year in my life three days ago started playing that game and I love it. So I was all about that scene right there. I was like, yeah, that for sure. Hey, yeah, I love that game that. so much. Did you know I bought a model? Colt 45, the 1872 Colt 45 uh, single shot. I also got a fast draw holster for it too. <laughs> yeah, as you should. So he blows out the he blows out his uh, cutter like it's a six shooter. <laughs> Nev, who's Uhura, is incensed to learn that her prisoners have escaped, and uh, Mitchell explains that Castor had conjured them out. When the queen asks why she was standing there cowering instead of chasing them, Mitchell replies that she was about to. And then Nev tells her she's about to lose her head and that she, be, she should be grateful her queen was feeling merciful today, giving her Crimson Guards another... Queen of Hearts? Yes. Crimson? Yeah. This is Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. <laughs> you can definitely see like the point to point on it, you know? I picked up that on that like immediately. I was like, this is just a retelling of Alice in Wonderland. Cool. I hate this episode even more. Yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, as the uh, the gang make their way down to engineering, Hemmer explains that he can block the door to allow them time to access the ship's scanners. Just as Spock and the Crimson Guard approach, Adia commands them all to get out of the way. Mitchell sneers because Adia is not carrying a blade. Adia takes down one of the Crimson Guards and takes his blade. Okay, my dog is actually, your commander dog is actually eating the top of my slipper. I will have to get new slippers. Please, folks, donate to our GoFundMe for Jeremy's new slippers. <laughs> our Go go Slipper Me. <laughs> so while, while Ortegas is holding everybody off, suddenly a bunch of arrows are let fly, and a Robin Hood-esque figure shows up, and it is number one, who I think has just killed a couple of their own red shirts. Imagine that. Yeah. Well, you know. Red shirt's dying. I know. And Star Trek. Yep. <laughs> Wouldn't have seen that one coming. All right. So Hammer and everybody else is there scanning stuff and Una is shooting things. And they they come up with this idea that there is some kind of presence that is controlling the situation or, or maintaining the situation. And Una's character thinks this sounds like a god. The consciousness is somehow trapped in the ship or the nebula, and they're trying to figure out kind of what happened, and it appears that they brought the characters from the book to life. Hammer speculates that Mbenga himself is the source of the problem, as their environment was created from his reading of the story. Perhaps the entity would release them if that connection were somehow severed, and if Mbenga were injured, for instance. That sounds awfully risky. So, what is this now? Mbenga remembers how uh, Rikia wanted Adia and Zamir to team up. So she, he's understanding how some of the differences are coming through the story now because obviously Rakia is writing the story. Where is Rakia? is Hemmer's next question. And they return to sick bay and Binga checks the transporter and the uh, pattern buffer is empty. His daughter is gone. And Binga discovers that Rakia was taken out of the pattern buffer at 0845 that morning and beamed somewhere in the ship, but the computer's not telling him where because, you know, computers like to play coy. Well, the computer from uh, Discovery does that. Well, yeah, but it, that one's alive now. Yeah, it's alive, sending it, all that. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I guess <laughs> the not, computer yeah. here would. Uh, I know you're asking me something, but I'm gonna misguide you. I'm not gonna tell you what you want to know. Yeah, that is a thing. That is a thing. Yeah, 
That's yeah. the thing. Mbinga has to tell Hammer about what's going on with his daughter, the illness, and the fact that he just kind of kept her trapped in the transporter, and how fast her illness is progressing. Hammer immediately offers to help, and Binga thinks that Rikia is the key to getting them out of the situation. Outside of the area, Spock slash Pollux is listening as he smiles to himself before going to report his findings to Queen Nev. So now they have decided that the Mercury Stone is Rukia. And Queen Nev still wants, wants the Mercury Stone because you know, that's what she's written to do. When uh, Spock slash Pollux asks how, he plans, how she plans to capture them, she motions and in comes slash Pike Ralph gibbering about how he was too young to die and pleads for mercy. He just chicken shits himself all the way through this. <laughs> uh, she basically tells him, live or die, it's up to him. He asks what she wants, and she demands loyalty. He is surprised by simplicity and bows before her. Of course. Of course, yeah. So, Adia is the first one who realizes that Chamberlain, which is Pike, would betray them, and then Mortius Rick mockingly apologizes again, saying that he had been <laughs> promised Ridley's kingdom in return for his loyalty. Pollux calls upon his brother to surrender, as his powers were greater. There was no need for any of them to die. The evil queen Nev agrees that all she wanted was the Mercury Stone. Once again, the power of science prevails because something, something, something happened that I missed this time. <laughs> oh, he crows dramatically and then asks, wait, was that too much? Mbinga and Hammer head off towards uh, uh, Mbinga's quarters. They open the door and there's Rakia looking out the window. And she's like, oh, hey, daddy, glad to see you. And then he comes in and she starts telling him about her friend who made her better. And that's when uh, Mbinga realizes that she's talking about the life form in the nebula or the nebula that is a life form. He starts trying to figure out a way to handle this, like how things can be brought back to normal or how they can get out. Basically, what they end up having to do is talk Himmer into allowing the life form to speak through him, even though he's not really looking forward to it. So he lets the, uh, the, the voice in, which the little girl now calls Deborah, I believe. And basically, yeah. the entity says you can't take the child, and they kind of go back and forth on why. Well, if they leave, then she'll die. And they try to figure out, well, how did you guys find each other or whatever? Well, the entity out there was lonely, and when it kind of went through the ship and scanned the ship and read the files, it learned about Rakia, who was also lonely. So it figured, hey, you know what? I'll make us a little a little happy place, and we'll hang out here, and she can get better, and we'll just hang out. So they have to argue back and forth now in case she can't leave, but Mbinga's like, yeah, but the ship can't stay. And so they go back and forth on this a few times trying to figure out what they can do, and then the entity states that the girl can stay without the ship. And basically, since it's only her body that's sick, her spirit slash personality would be able to live there in that entity nebula cloud with her forever. And they kind of go through the how it would work and the this, that, and the other. And then Mbinga kneels to his daughter and asks her if she wants to go with her friend or go back into the cupboard, basically. Um, and into the cupboard. That was a great book. Yeah. Hammer uh, begins to shake again and collapses onto Mbinga's bunk. So the, the entity's gone, the little girl's agreed to stay, and then she just kind of poofs out of existence like Q, but then uh, a few minutes later, she reappears again as an adult. This is the part where I thought it was just stupid. <laughs> you know, they could have done oh, this, but they it took you this long? Well, this I thought this was really dumb, because they should have just left it as an ending, 
and then come back later and he could have found out that his daughter went and lived this really awesome, happy life. Well, no, they had to fill five or ten more minutes, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. fair enough. So, anyhow, we get through all of this, and, the, okay, everybody's all happy now, but even even though, uh, you know, Mbinga's not going to get to see his daughter very often, oh, and then everything kind of fades to black, Mbinga's back in his uniform, Hammer regains his consciousness, complaining of a terrible headache, uh, he asks why he's in the doctor's quarters, the last thing he remembers is being uh, stuck in the nebula. Do you have this one, the Chief Medical Officer's Personal Log Supplemental? Chief Medical Officer's Personal Log Supplemental. None of the crew remember what happened. The entity's doing. My daughter's doing, I'm sure. The surveillance logs are blank. It's as if every one of them lost five hours, except for me. Yeah. So the entity wipes everybody's brains, kind of, except for the girl being gone, everything's back to where it was. As Mbinga reaches the end of the kingdom of Elysian, Una is standing at the entrance to the office, addressing him by his first name, Joseph. Apparently, this is the first time that name has been used on screen. She asks about Rakia, and he is content to know that she was alive and safe. He has been through a lot, and he considers it to be extraordinary, and nobody else remembers it. Una realizes he knows what happened during the missing five hours and thinks that it sounds like a hell of a story. The doctor smiles and agrees and says it all it began like all good stories once upon a time. All right, so that was that episode. I'm gonna quickly bring us into the the picking nits and notes section because I have a piece of viewer mail. You ready for this one? Oh well then we're we're past the picking nits segment and into listener mail. So you just went right past it. That's okay, because I picked nits the entire time oh, we this talked is about true. this. this is true. I did not like this episode, like, at all. Well, okay, fair enough. So, we uh, <laughs> we got this message over on our website at uh, strangenewtrekshow.com. It says, Season 1, Episode 8 had Kirk acting stereotypically gay and cowardly. As gay people, we resented this, but we could not find a way to contact the producers. Can you help, please? Thanks, Patrick and Rob. Uh, Patrick and Rob, Kirk was not in this episode. Also, gay and cowardly are not the same thing. You as gay people should know that. Go to Paramount's website, look for their investor relations page, and contact them that way if you have a concern, though. That is usually the best way to handle something that you may disagree with artistically with a publicly owned... uh... That's not true. What, no? Jeremy, that's not true. The best way to um, let somebody know that you did not like something they did or said is to at them on Twitter. Mm. You could go do Yeah, they have a Paramount Plus. They also have a Strange New Worlds Twitter that you can message. I don't, I'm kind of old school. I still go to the investor relations every time I need, uh, I need to express a dis- dislike of something. No, that's what normal people do. That's what normal people do. But in this day and age, we go to Twitter and at them. Oh, okay. Um, well, Passive-aggressively. Passive-aggressively, if you can manage it, yeah. Obviously. Okay. No, that's that's no, that's fair. I can totally see that. Yeah. So Patrick and Rob, that is what I would do. But also, I question how closely you watch the episode since neither character of Kirk, uh, Lieutenant Kirk, or future Captain James T. Kirk were in this episode. But anyhow, that's how you can contact them. Thank you for reaching out. Let us know if you got any other questions. The other thing I was going to point out, and of course now I've lost it. The book's author was a character that Ben Sisko turned into under the power of the um, the prophets on Deep Space Nine for an episode. So either he wrote this book while he was that character, or this character was real and not just a figment of his imagination that was put upon him by the prophets of Bajor. Yeah, it was written by Benny Russell. There we go, Benny Russell. 
So I thought that was kind of neat that they at least hit that. You know, I'm going to say that I, I thoroughly believe the producers and uh, writers of this show are Star Trek fans. No, they are for sure, but I just, this was not my cup of tea. No, no, no. It just rang of like um, filler next generation type of stuff. It did have that feel. I will agree with you 100% on that. Hey, Chris, where are we headed next week? Oh, yeah. I'm glad the listener asked about that because next week the action begins on a naturally clean planet. Kirk and Hemmer are irresistibly drawn together, but. Hemmer is under the sentence of death for murdering a, murdering a monstrous alien. Finally, Kirk realizes how annoying he is and leaves. So, yeah, man, like, Kirk is out here, bro. All right. I'm just saying. Maybe Paramount heard how, how you guys feel there, Rob and Patrick. Maybe, maybe you don't need to tell them anything else. Hey, everybody, if you have any questions or comments or theories you want to run by us, hit us up on our website at Strange New Trek. Dot com or follow the links in the show notes wherever you're listening to us at. Please rate and review us. Uh, like and subscribe wherever you listen to us at. It's one small step for you, but a giant leap for this show. Special thanks to Miguel Esparza for the strange new track theme and to Will Harding for all of his hard work down in the YouTube department in engineering. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to set your phasers to stun and join us next time when we're on to the next Planet of the Week. Planet of the Week.